Welcome to Size Eyes, the life of a long-term multitasker. This is the Fully Content series, where content is king, but its wisdom is the kingdom. Where learning is simultaneously a convergent and divergent experience. Where the threads of all the content consumed connect to form a mesmerizing web of infinite understanding. This series explores my unique insights, learnings, and connections with books, podcasts, articles, documentaries, and any other forms of content that I consume. Ultimately though, all this knowledge is only a rumor until it is in the muscle. Hey everyone, this episode will be taking a look at Atomic Habits, a classic book written a few years ago, over 4 million copies sold. So don't need to really introduce the content here since I'm sure everyone who's listening to this has already heard of the book, if not read it, and implementing things from it themselves. So I'm not going to spend too much time recapping things, but mostly just connecting the takeaways with my own life. Um, quick overview of the book notes that I wrote down and a few quotes that stood out. The first one, actually, I think in the foreword, like the beginning before the book actually started, the introduction was a quote by Naval Ravikant. To write a great book, you must first become the book. So that was like, whoa. Because that was pretty neat because I think people want to research. Yeah, I guess when people think of a book, they think about, all right, here's a topic, here's a general section, here's an outline, and then I need to do research for the book, I need to write it all out, right? But our life is literally a book waiting for us to be written, right? It's, it's out there. We just need to create it. And so that, that potential is there. Um, but to really resonate with yourself and to really resonate with an audience, to write that great book, you must first become the book. And that's what Naval Ravikant is saying in that quote. Another quote later on in the actual, after the book has started, was, time magnifies the margin between success and failure. It will multiply whatever you feed it. Good habits make time your ally, bad habits make time your enemy. So this is by James Clear, the author. And yeah, it, it basically aligns with everything f from a, you know, let's say 1% growth perspective, one of my other series, that just keep doing good habits and over time it will compound, right? So there's compounding interest there. Same thing with, you know, let's say eating unhealthy. You're not gonna notice the small thing, small donut that I had today, for example. But over time, if I keep eating a donut a day, of course that's gonna have negative effects on my health, right? But overall, you know, every day I should be doing more things that serve me than the other way around. And I'll become closer to the person that I know I can be. One of the big things, especially said in the introduction in the first couple of chapters as well, was viewing habits as systems and not viewing habits as goals. Because when we have a goal, that implies we don't have it. 
first of all, right? We're trying to achieve something, right? Something that's out of our reach currently, right? But then we're thinking about it from, like I have to take extra action to do something versus let me just build it in. Let me make it as easy as possible for me to achieve something. So this is really this habits, Atomic Habits book is really a systems thinking book. And that's what I gained from it. The system just happens to be habit formation and habit creation, habit implementation. But it's really a system for us, system for us to build, to inculcate and implement those habits. So one of the things that, for I think the first couple of chapters when I was reading, I was like, damn, this is really, 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 really similar to what I wrote out in November, December and read and, and gave it to my, um, to the leadership team at work about why we need an organizational operating system. And I, I feel like I put that online. It was in my, it was one of my newsletters. Um, I'll, I'll put a link to it somewhere. Um, but when, after I read the book, I was like, man, this sounds so familiar. And I was like, where did I write this? And then I was like, oh yeah, duh. I wrote all of this myself without, before having read the book itself, I wrote so many of these similar concepts from the book, obviously without the actual research, but that goes to show my, went to show myself that, yeah, I have the knowledge within me, right? I don't necessarily need to rely on research to prove a point. I can rely on my intuition and my own experiences at work, personally, intuitively, to come to the same conclusion as an author who's spent years and years and years researching and writing blog posts and et cetera, and really understanding this topic, All right? So that gave me more confidence to continue what I'm doing of writing content intuitively and let the information just come to me naturally with ease. So one of the, yeah, so in, in the book, and he mentions other books about habits of four, about Charles Duhigg and um, Daniel Kahneman, I think, um, about, but he basically lays it out as a, a cue, a craving, a response, and a reward. It's kind of the habit cycle. And so how to create a good habit, his four main sections of the book are to make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, make it satisfying. And then the opposite of how to break a bad habit is basically the inverse of those. So instead of making it obvious, make it invisible. Instead of making it attractive, make it unattractive. Instead of making it easy, make it difficult. And instead of make it satisfying, make it unsatisfying. So pretty simple rules, nothing groundbreaking here, nothing earth shattering, but obviously it's all in the action. Um, one of the other cool things that I gleaned from this was, you know, he wrote in the book, it, it is the anticipation of the reward, not the fulfillment of it that gets us to take action, right? So I think so often we, uh, especially me, I conflate and associate the anticipation of something and the actual fulfillment of it as what I want. But it's, there's a wanting and a liking that there's a difference that he delineates here. And 
the habit is really going after the wanting something, right? If we can adjust the wanting, then it doesn't really matter about the, you know, if we like it or not. But, you know, let's look, let's analyze our own life and see what is the anticipation of something and how much do we actually like what we anticipated and see how much of a difference there is in our mood and our feeling emotions, right? So I think that's a simple takeaway there. Um, another thing was most days we'd rather be wrong with the crowd than be right by ourselves. And that's, I think that's played out every day um, in, in whatever we do. And so I think we always have to spend time looking to stand out in, in a positive manner, obviously not by doing something egregious, but by being ourselves, I think we naturally stand out. But it's really understanding who we are first, then that we can stand out in a most natural way possible than by forcing something if we really want to stand out, right? So it's finding out, doing the inner work first, and then standing out naturally. Actually, in that case, we'll just naturally stand out if we understand ourselves fully first. Another thing that really resonated with me was um, he differentiates between motion and action. Uh, motion allows us to feel like we're making progress without the running the risk of failure. And most of us are experts at avoiding criticism. Um, but action is really something that, uh, I'm not quoting here, but action is something that we take action on versus motion we feel like we're taking action on, but we're not really. And so I think relating that to me, you know, that's, that's a big thing I've, I've been thinking about, like how much am I actually pushing myself out of my comfort zone Right, I feel like I may think that I'm pushing myself out of the comfort zone, but am I really? Or am I really doing it to the extent that I think I am? So I'm going to really be pushing that. Probably a lot of the times where my mind tells me no, like, no, it's okay, you don't need to do this. That's, those are probably the most important times to do the opposite of what my mind tells me to do. And I've gotten better at understanding where my thoughts are coming from. I think we think that our thoughts are coming from one place, that every voice in our head is equal. But I think there's intuitive thoughts that arise from intuition. There's thoughts that come from our mind, that thoughts that come from our ego, thoughts that come from our soul, thoughts that come from something that we've heard but haven't really processed. Even some of what I'm saying right now is things that I'm regurgitating, hearing from other people, reading from other places, right? Everything that I've said is not fully original right? But by doing that work, we can get there. Um, and, and really take that action without seeming like we're taking action and really we're doing just motion here. Um, another thing is when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to become a good measure, which is a quote by Charles Goodhart. And I think that's relevant for me because I really, really, really like to track things, to capture things, to analyze data, you know, my daily tracking metrics. Everything is, you know, quantifying my thoughts. Everything is quantifiable, right? But sometimes I lose myself 
in the action in the measurement of it sometimes in a positive way sometimes in a way that I lose the meaning of why I was measuring it in the first place and so right now for example I'm taking a break from journaling uh, from list journaling bullet journaling and so I think I've become so attached to that and becomes it has become such a habit that I've lost the reason why I started it in the first place and a lot of the things that I've written down in the list journal day after day after day for the last couple of years I found I've inculcated that habit and that mindset which was the original intention behind writing that so I'm living a life now where that system of writing things in my list journal that habit has now become part of my identity and so now instead of just continuing to do that I feel like my the next level of that is alright what's the next level that I want to bring into my identity focus on that instead of trying to continuing to add things on add things on and becoming overwhelmed without taking things out so I think that is a main thing here of understanding why I'm measuring something um, some of my other notes here um, he went from he started a small he started a blog small number of subscribers and then eventually grew to you know hundreds thousands hundreds of thousands etc and then prompted him to you know write a book and so when I read that as that's how he started I was like okay that's kind of how I'm starting right now and the book itself when you read it, it's a very 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 easy read very simple read very quick read obviously very valuable if you get whatever insight from it that you can implement but that gave me confidence as well it's like okay he went from writing a blog into writing a book I have 300 blogs right now there's a book somewhere in there right and it's cool because going back to that first quote I've I'm becoming the book I've become the book right so I, I just need to write the book now I just need to organize it I've, I've already kind of written it if you will I just need to now organize it um, another thing that he mentioned in there is to be around people that practice the habit that you want to bring into your identity right so you know being around people who are entrepreneurs that will automatically give me that entrepreneurial spirit or at least put me in situations where that makes it easy to tap into my entrepreneuriality if that's a word right I'm just joining a culture that's that's automatic to them right and if I spend enough time with them then it becomes automatic for me right so I'm that's part of this growth process that's part of the action right not just motion of not just typing these things out in a blog and talking about this to myself if anyone's listening right it's about taking that action of all right, I'm going to go outside of my comfort zone because this, you know, that's where I, that's what I need to do. That's my action. Going to be posting on LinkedIn, going to be posting on Instagram, going to be posting on these different places, joining a course, spending more money than I'm have in the past to do something that I haven't done before, right? But when I put myself in those positions, those positions that I haven't put myself in before, then I'm growing, I'm taking that action, and when I'm in that culture where that is the norm, then that will become my identity 
right? So I think, and over time, life is then a series of fitting in, right? You want to see what you want to become, the next level of you, next version of you, right? So then you, you raise your level, you fit into that community, let's say, that social circle. And then within there, you are, okay, it becomes part of your identity. And then you be, kind of become there, you, you kind of become stagnant, right? So when you kind of plateau there on this imaginary graph, then, all right, then you gotta, that's when you take the decision to stand out, right? Then you got to stand out within that group, right? So then what's the next level that you want to reach out to, reach to, right? And maybe reach out to then. Of, and then you find the next level, and then you find the next level, right? So then I think life is just a series of fitting in and then standing out, fitting in and standing out. So you can continually be in a fluid equilibrium of growth and stability. Um, and I'll, I think one question, I'll end with a couple of things here. One thing that he mentioned is people do things, um, he, he, uh, basically when it, when the situations are right, people will do things, right? So he calls them, for example, meditating. He calls them fair weather meditators, right? It's like, oh, when everything is right, all right. When everything is peaceful, then I'll meditate. It's like, no, you got to, in the storm, that, that's the time you got to meditate. Life is not going to stand still for you to meditate. You got to take time out, right? In those, in those toughest days, are we doing the things that matter to us? All right, so th that prompted a question in me of like, what am I fair weather at currently? I don't think I've asked myself this enough or pondered on it as deeply as I would like since I read the book. But it's a question there that, you know, what am I currently fair weather at? All right, so maybe that's a question that you can ask yourself. What do you do in, when times are easy to do them in versus when times are tough, what do you fall back on? And then the last thing here is, all right, so, so one of the things he mentioned is there, and there is a two-minute rule. And there's different versions of this in other places as well. But in the book, he talks about a two-minute rule of the habit doesn't need to be something huge that you need to do every day or it doesn't need to be something that you just spend a lot of time on doing X amount of times a week or whatever it is. But if you can just do it for two minutes, then most of the time you'll probably do a little bit more than two minutes, right? And there, there's even a strategy there of like, I will only do it for two minutes, no more, no less. So then it's like, okay, you're building in the habit of like, I'm first, you're building in the habit of actually doing it. You're actually going through that motion. You're building that neural pathway. And then by, let's say, limiting it to two minutes for the first X amount of times that you do it, you're, you're wanting to do it the next subsequent times, right? You're limiting it to two minutes like, oh man, I wish I did it for a few more minutes, right? So then the ne next day, let's say it's an everyday thing, that the next day you're looking forward to doing that, right? And then you keep doing it, maybe you're building it up, you're building up the stamina. So what I'm doing in May is I'm doing, I'm running a mile every day. Obviously like I'm already a, a runner, I would say, or I am a runner. And, but I don't run every day, right? But I'm going to run exactly a mile every day in May. 
And so far I've done that, uh, with the exception of, I think, one day where I ran almost 20 miles. But every other day I've ran exactly one mile, right? And I, that means I'm, that put me, puts me in the mindset of I'm a runner, first of all, and it builds it into my daily routine. Like I can't sleep in the day, at the end of the day, without having run a mile. And improving, I'm improving my stamina and endurance because of it as well. I've seen my mile time go down from 6.45 to my lowest right now is 6.09. So maybe I can get it down below 6 by the end of May, right? So I'm going to do this with other habits as well. Maybe it's more content-related um, for business, or maybe it is more health-related, or having a nightly routine, or whatever it is. I'm going to do this for, let's say, a month challenge, right? Every 30 days, like June is going to be something, July is going to be something, and I'm going to fully focus my time and energy on that one habit, doing it every day, whatever that two-minute version of it looks like for that specific habit. So those are the kind of the main takeaways, obviously, um, since this is a book that I read. A lot of my, all my notes for this book are in my book vault online, so you can find that at cybossom.com slash book vault, um, or maybe content slash book vault, but either way, it's on my website. Um, but yeah, so that is Fully Content, episode nine of the Size Eyes podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.